Hello and welcome to the Indie Alternative Podcast. It's me, Chris. On this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Tom McRae. Tom is one of my all-time favourite songwriters, so it was an absolute honour to speak to him. When editing this episode, um, I realised just how much uh, Tom goes into his writing process, how he structures songs and albums. Um, It was a real joy and I was a little bit nervous too, but it was fantastic. So thanks, Tom. If you want to support the podcast, don't forget there's lots of ways that you can do that. You can follow me on the social networks and you can buy me a virtual coffee to say thank you. The links to that is in the show notes. And also, if you haven't yet rated the podcast or written a review, if you have time, that would be amazing. Anyway, no more waffle from me. Let's get cracking with Tom. Are you there, Tom? I am. Hello. Whereabouts are you? I am in my shed studio, um, which glamorises it slightly, in my house uh, in Wiltshire. And you're um, kind of rehearsing for getting back on the road? Well, not so much the road right now. I have a one-off charity show, which is rescheduled from December, um, which is a sort of in real life version of the live stream show that I was doing a couple of times during lockdown. And foolishly, I thought it'd be fun to just book a casual show and and celebrate the end of COVID. Um, But it doesn't quite work like that. So (laughs) it's rescheduled for a few months down the line. Um, So that's a one off. And I I won't be going out on the road until end of September, October. So it's sort of, yeah, it's more of a one off thing, really. So I mean, sort of, you know, you don't necessarily have to start rehearsing that that far in advance these days, I'm guessing. (laughs) <laughs> well, it was a, that's a really good point, actually, because I've just been moaning about that to various people who put up with my moaning, is that uh, I was just talking to a friend who drums for Tori Amos, and he was saying that they had the luxury of five weeks rehearsal. And he says even with you know, artists of that level, you rarely get any more than a couple of weeks. Yeah. And, and for me, I'm lucky if I play with, say I do sort of a show with my trio with, with Ollie and Ollie, that we might get seven, maybe ten days together at a push. Sometimes it's been only been five days because kids, one lives in LA, one lives in London, I live in Wiltshire, and it's so hard to organise and so expensive that that uh, that you never get enough enough time to rehearse whenever. So if I'm doing yeah. a solo show, sort of like this thing is now, um, it's, it's it's a bit less pressure really. Um, yeah, it's I, I wouldn't start rehearsing for a tour like eight months in advance, like you're suggesting. Not by a long way, but <laughs> but but you know, I'd like I'd like I'd like as long as I can get if there's other people involved. Yeah, I mean, wh- how do you approach these solo shows though? Do you um, we've got uh, a, quite a catalogue of work, and are you kind of thumbing through your albums and and uh, B sides and other little project work that you've done to try and find the, the perfect set, or do you have an understanding of Sorry, do you approach it in a in a very fluid way on the night? Yeah, both is is the, <laughs> the slightly crap answer to that. Is that I um I rehearse variations of the sort of songs that fill certain holes in a show, and a show sort of has a similar arc, whichever the songs are. Really, if it's going to work, I, I like to start in a certain way. I like to capture attention. I like to to quieten the room and then slowly open it out and then slowly involve the audience and then by the end leave them in a sort of <laughs> um, difficult with my with my music but a sort of celebratory place. 
and and I have songs that will do those things in different ways. And if I I'll switch out certain slow numbers or I'll switch out certain upbeat numbers of the very yeah. few that I have because I, I on any given night the one thing that I'm playing is not the songs I'm playing the audience and the room, and that sounds a little bit pretentious, but that's something that I've learned over the years is is that every audience is different, every room is different, and you can't just churn out the same thing and you have to respond and you have to feel the energy and feel what people need and, and what, not let them tell me what to do, but let them, their energy sort of instruct me as to how I want to get them to the place that I want to leave them. Because if I go to a show, I want to, I want to leave that room transformed and I don't yeah. care if it's perfect. I don't care if it's, you know, sounds like the CD. I, I don't, I don't need it to be anything other than somehow emotionally transformative. So that's what I do. I write out all these songs and I go, Oh, I'll have, it's like countdown. I'll have one from column A, one from column B, two from column C and, and cobble a set together yeah. that way. Really. And when did it, I mean, I would like to get onto sort of how you get the songwriting down and how you kind of approach each album, but take me back a bit further and how it all began i mean do you remember um you know your first influences and and like your first sort of um forays into songwriting yeah very much so um i think i had a similar path to anyone who ends up in in music really is that i i liked songs in a way that i felt perhaps it was hitting me deeper than it was my other friends when I was sort of eight or nine, even younger than a teenager. Certain songs wrote, sort of spoke to me in a way that that made me want to to try and make something that had that same effect. And it was just mm. I just messed around on on instruments that were around the house, not not doing anything effectively. And then I went to my first gig, and a cliche had my mind blown and just what wow this is. This is amazing. This is what I would like to do. And it took me, oh God, I mean, from, from 16 to 29, took me a long time to get it together, to get a record deal. But but it was that first show combined with a sort of burgeoning love of, of songwriters, especially, that, that, that sowed the seed, really. Was there anyone in particular, any artist in particular, that you just you felt more drawn towards, like in terms of not necessarily like the content of the song, but but maybe just their performance and their, their kind of um their approach to it because you've got a very kind of i wouldn't say macabre but it's it's you, <laughs> you can you say bring, that you bring you're bringing people um oh how can i put this down bringing them down just say it chris i'm bringing them down <laughs> yeah no but it is definitely got it has that dark it's dark isn't it it goes to a dark place but where did that come from is there a, a particular artist that kind of moved you in that way to sort of spur you want to do something similar well, that's that's tricky actually because the artists that I fell in love with that that made me want to do this and sort of do my best to emulate the sort of effect they had. I wouldn't describe them as particularly dark. Uh, Paul Simon was the first songwriter I really fell in love with. Um, uh, it, when his melodies, they had a certain ambiguity to them. So even if they were a little bit more melodic or upbeat, they still they still ached. And I would qualify the sort of songwriting that I do and the sort of thing I'm attracted to is whether it's actually depressing or melancholy or dark or downbeat or or some of my other attempts at a bit more, I don't know, upbeat songwriting. But I'm always looking for the thing that makes me ache, that gap in the music, that gap that you fall into with the lyrics, that gap that, that a chord change creates. So... Mm. 
Paul Simon does that brilliantly and his songs ache. And then from that, it was really singer-songwriters. So it was Kate Bush. And, you know, I would describe her work as pretty dark, you know, a oh, lot yeah. of it, even though it's melodic. Um, Kate Bush then, you know, through to... Then I fell in love with Billy Bragg. He was political and and I thought, oh, you don't... You know, he he he's writing these essentially pop songs, but he's taking away all the dressing of a pop song. Yep. So if Kirsty McCall does um, does a, a version of his song, then it's going to be a different thing. But he chose to deliberately steer his songs in a in a direction, and I thought that's really cool because you get the you get the melodicism and you get the hooks, but you don't have the cheese. So I, I kind of nicked that. I like that. Um, uh, and he, you know, he has his dark moments, and then obviously the cliches, the the Bob Dylan, because you can't you can't really consider singer-songwriter dumb without thinking about the patron saint of them all. Um, yeah. And then the great lyricists, you know, Leonard Cohen. And I suppose Leonard Cohen is the one where the biggest darkness comes from, where where I just thought, oh, all your songs can sort of sound the same a bit and all your songs can be a bit dark and a bit downbeat and that's still okay because I found yeah. myself listening to his songs and not getting bored and not getting bored of the albums and it sort of felt like that gave me permission to just be a miserable git, you know, really. Well, those artists you've mentioned, they're all kind of, I would describe them as gateway drugs. Because <laughs> they're all the sort of things that I would suggest, I mean, I, you know, without listening to Pink Pink Moon or, you know, and as you say, Paul Simon and, and obviously Dylan, you, you they are the, the things that make you do it, I think, essentially. If you are a solo artist or you move into a solo world from being in a band, they're the kind of artists that ground you into the, into that space, I think. Well, I think so. I mean, they are they are well, they're either the gateway drugs or, or they're sort of like the, the foundation of it all, really, because because uh, of the era of modern pop music. You know, when people started writing their own songs, and and we went from you know pre Beatles to the Beatles, and then and then Dylan and and everyone since, and the you know you you get the people who 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 set the standard for everyone for all time. So, uh, you know, you get the probably the greatest of all time. You get someone like Joni Mitchell. Um, mm. you, you get these people who, who, if you like them, do throw open the world. But it was, it was, it was always the solo artists and not bands for me. I, I love bands. Mm. And as a teenager, I wanted to go and see bands, but I was always interested in the single voice not just solo but the singular voice in what, yeah, what is yeah. someone's personality telling me what is their Paul Simon is a great example because what's he telling you when he's in Simon and Garfunkel what's he telling you throughout his solo career what's he telling you through the breakup of that marriage through the breakup of the next marriage of what's he telling you at this part of his and I always thought that's that's like being involved in an ongoing saga and for me that that again gave me permission to sort of cannibalize my own life to to have material without being considering myself self-indulgent yeah that's the key isn't it i remember with from my myself it was you, you yourself your early work and ed harcourt and guy garvey and uh, damien rice all those kind of uh, Gemma hayes as well lots of singer songwriters and and uh that was like then well, I remember speaking to other musicians in, around at the time and saying, oh, I'm really into Damien Rice, Ed Harcourt. They're like, yeah, yeah, I like all that stuff. But if you, you, know, you need to go back to, you need to listen to Pink Moon. And I said, I don't know these people. I said, this, this is the real stuff. <laughs> go there. Then you see where it comes from. And it's like, 
Oh yeah, and I kind of missed it because I was into heavy metal, and then I moved into sort of indie grunge, <laughs> and then well, and I thought well, I missed out all that kind of singer songwriting kind of acoustic thing, and then as soon as I found that, and I was pointed in the right direction for friends, it's like, yes, you can definitely, you definitely absorbed the history. Yeah, it was like a, well, you'd already you were already involved in the whole acoustic movement and the whole kind of songwriting process with those artists like yourself, and then being drawn backwards into thing where it all began it was such a great voyage in that it's such a rich amount of work isn't it anyway well yeah i mean that follow on from that it, it's incredibly exciting i have to say at 52 i am going backwards in time more than i am going looking for contemporary work because that sort of has to cross my radar in a way that that by accident really but um but I, I like you. Don't have to know it. Why should anyone of a certain age have to come forearmed with all the knowledge of? Well, 1974 was the best year for music, and and who cares? <laughs> you, you know, you, you're born into your era, and so you like, you know, Ed Sheeran or whoever, and then that might lead you back as you, as you mature and your tastes might slightly change. And I, I listen now to older blues guys i listen to older recordings i listen to to stuff that i i'm pathetically ignorant about and and that's the brilliant thing about the river of song and and the journey that 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 if you're a writer that you're just part of and you might be a you know you might not even be a ripple in that river of song but mm. but you're you you that baton's been passed to you and you you pass that bit on and that's that's the whole way it's supposed to work so i kind of i i find my lack of knowledge less of a less of a disappointment to myself and more like a a thrilling thing to oh i can fill that hole you know thank thanks to evils like the internet and spotify and go oh there's no excuse now I could just you know press songs like this and i can lose myself for hours on end you know and i yeah. like metal at 15 well 13 14 iron maiden was probably my favorite band you know yeah. i had studs on the back of my denim jacket i am um, <laughs> I, I still love acdc uh you know i'm i i, I got a big soft spot for for all those big songs yeah. you know big tunes you always go back to it i think at, at a certain point whatever you're doing you just have to riff out don't you <laughs> i think so yeah no you've got to bring the noise i mean it's rock and roll is you you have to and 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 i I found that my voice couldn't really compete with that and I couldn't get the nuance of what I wanted to say. But but you unpack those songs. I mean, those the, those chord changes, yes. they're, like, they're like the big songs of punk. They, they're all just pop songs, brilliantly, brilliantly done pop songs, you know. Um, Tom, are you always writing? I mean, whether it's for yourself or for, you know, if it's just an idea or a mm. project that's going on, are you always got a pen or your dictaphone to hand or iPhone? <sighs> <laughs> yeah, I guess again the terrible thing is this terrible cliche, but although I might not be sitting down at an instrument, I consider myself always clocked on because because ideas sort of can come from anywhere when you're, you know, on a train driving whatever snatches of overheard conversation or, or melodies that pop into your head and and so yeah, I like everyone I have voice notes full of that on my phone. And and I guess I guess I am, but now that I I have a little bit more time generally um, around the studio, I I tend to write by accident. I don't sit down and go, "This is the writing time." I I just I think I noodle. I think the mm. key to the key to writing regularly is to not think that you're writing, is to distract your higher function by you know watching TV or whatever, doing something and just noodling 
and then you might strike on a chord progression and then I'll look around the walls and I've got lyrics up on my walls and I'll go, oh, that fits that. And, and you're off and running. But then even then they'll stay as just little snatches of ideas for months and sometimes years until I actually sit down and, you know, grind it out. But but yeah, I guess short answer. <laughs> it's too late for that. But the short answer is, yeah, I'm, I think I'm always writing. Is there a more most productive time? I mean, I I don't know. Most artists seem to think that, or seem to say that they're they're most the twilight hours and the evenings and nights is when they're the desperate, not the desperation, but the, the <laughs> it's that witching hour, isn't it, of getting the emotions out and you feel a little bit more isolated and uh, I don't know, are you freer, a little bit more kind of less inhibited at that time? Are you the same? I'm getting around to a question here, but are you the same? <laughs> sure, yeah, I, I, I am, I am. And, and that, you know, again, it feels a little bit cliched, but I think the reason, I mean, I you know, I do, I, my life and work and my income is derived from music, so there's lots of different things I do within that and lots of those things are for other people. But for me, the thing where a song really starts to, get its little claws into you and say finish me finish me is when is when I'm starting to connect the words and emotions to a melody and really I can't I don't ever feel that I'm I can make myself vulnerable enough to go looking for that ache that I was talking about earlier Mm. during daylight hours and that you know it's not that's not just a cliche of oh well everyone else is using up the the daylight dream space it's not it's not that it's that that I need to go away somewhere alone and quiet and and just just focus on on allowing myself to to let those let that space for those emotions bubble up and and there's no way of saying this without making it sound pretentious but but if I'm just singing words to a tune it's just words to a tune unless there's something about it that sort of makes I feel that thump in my chest where I've gone oh I I, I think I'm saying something to myself here that I need to hear then then it mm. doesn't really become a song so yeah it's after dark a little glass of something maybe to relax me um dim the lights and and just just think about well, not think. Try and not think, and try and let try and let the 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 song tell you what it wants to be, really. And do you have different hats for different <laughs> occasions? Because you you write all all sorts of different things, and you you write for films and TV and, and yeah. everything, and obviously there's your solo work. And, and <laughs> how do you how are you differentiating between this? Are you is it like uh, a job? I mean, it's obviously like a job. Well, it is a job. I mean, a great job. Very lucky, and, and I love it. And yeah. I love I love many many aspects of it. Um, uh, I, I guess, I guess, I guess the more difficult jobs that require precision that other people are paying for, you know, things that are time coded to, to picture, I do <laughs> when I when I'm awake in the daylight hours, you know, and and I think first thing when I wake up, I'll come down and have a cup of coffee and just you know just warm up the fingers and and sometimes that's really good because I haven't really woken up and you'll just stumble upon something, especially writing to picture. You'll be watching it and go, oh. And without even thinking about time signature or key or whatever, you just you just you find that you've written something that fits emotionally, and that's a good start. So that's a sort of a hat. And then when it comes to to if I'm translating lyrics from French to English for another artist, or I'm doing something, then that's kind of I'll I'll do that at a certain time of day where where I can uh, I feel that. Not that I'm not delivering the art, but I'm delivering more of the craft. And I think that, you know, sometimes yeah. I'm paid to do the crafting bit and song doctor for people. Um, 
and and I guess I guess I get the scrag end of the day. That's that's the bit reserved for me. Is <laughs> the scrag end where <laughs> where I you know I think I do my best stuff when I'm slightly tired and you know um, yeah and not and not thinking about oh I will write a song now because the minute you sit down thinking I'll write a song you don't you don't do anything you know. How do you um how do you know you've done it? I guess with with either the the your own work for your own sort of your own compositions or or for other other artists or other projects that you've got on. Is there an internal mechanism or a little little light that goes off and says, "Yep, that's done, good." Well, without being glib about it, there's there's an external clock that says the schedule is here <laughs> and and the deadline is 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 there and you've already missed it. So so I mean, and I think deadlines are useful because to that's you know applied to the work I do for other people. There's, can we have it by this time? And and thank you very much. And. And with my stuff, it's here's the release date that I've had to set however many weeks or months in advance. And here's when the factory can try and get your vinyl or CDs back by. And here's when the tour's booked. So there's always yeah. the notion of deadlines. And to be honest, if you took those away, I would still be mixing the song that I'm working on. Because now that I write, produce and mix my own stuff mostly... I would never stop. You literally have to take me away from it. And if you, if I could have the masters back for, for all my stuff, I'd, I'd tweak it endlessly. I'm terrible, really, really terrible. And and like everyone says, you don't finish something. You sort you abandon it. You go, that's you know, that's as good as I can get it. And just, and then maybe ten years later, you can hear it without hearing all the mistakes. Yeah, are you super critical of your previous work then? If you if you stick it on, are you still going over it? You're in your hind in your head. Yeah, I mean. I used to say it took about 10 years. I think it takes a lot less now. I'm a bit more forgiving. Um, and now I've sort of gone round the clock face, so I'm back at five to midnight where I I wish I could be as free and as careless. I wish I, wish I was right. as, as happy to make those mistakes and let them go by or, or happy to just think that something's good enough because sometimes if you go, oh, I'll just do that first thing. And then you spend months trying to go, but the first thing I've got, it's got, it's got to be this other thing. Otherwise, what have I brought to the process? And then mm. the 28 year old you goes, no, mate, the first thing was the best. Just, just relax. So yeah, you have to, <laughs> you have to unlearn a lot of the craft as well is, is the truth. I think. I wanted to ask you about your albums and, and uh, how you approach them. Uh, or do you, do you approach them in a, in a, as a project or are you just you know are there is it a body of work i hate to say the concept album because they're not but the i i believe that probably artists do have a in the back of their mind will treat something at a pointed time uh, and stamp it with some sort of concept but do you do you know what i mean is that something you do when you're approaching a new record only in as much as well in two aspects the one most important aspect is have i got anything to say and that comes down to my love of my favourite artists, not only do their albums fall in that sort of roughly two or three year cycle, which, which you know, happens to be the way the world decided that the marketing and touring cycle would work, but also that that's sort of how your life breaks down into chunks that, that I felt I had learned something or something had changed that I could write about. So yeah. I don't, don't look at the albums as any more than a concept other than if I'm writing 10 or 12 postcards to myself about where I'm at, am I telling myself anything new? And if I'm telling myself something new in those, on the back of those postcards, I'm 
getting clever now. Let me work out this metaphor. Then the picture on the front of those postcards would be the sound palette. And, and is that sound palette going to be slightly different? Is it going to be deliberately shit sound palette? Is it going to be more keyboards? Are you going to put more drums? Are you going to make the sound crunchy or cleaner or more open? Or that's, that's the combination of have I got something to say and what sound palette will interest me enough to get me to the end of the process. Is there an album that um, you, you kind of look at more fondly than others? Is there a favourite child amongst it all? Yeah, there is really. I mean, uh, I think I think Did I Sleep and Miss the Border for me is massively important because it's the very first album where I demoed everything at home in my studio, took it to a studio in Wales, got the band to play along, come up with other parts, combined the parts that I'd done at home with the band, and then I mixed the whole thing from start to finish, and it took me months, and I got as close to the sound that I'd wanted right from the start, um, sort of in 2001, it took me 14 years later, to get to the point where I was able to make the sound I'd, I'd been hearing in my head, and, and, and I think I'd got, and I think some of the song the songs are great and it's a good range of songs and I took some risks with the sound and the sound palette and and pushed myself into other areas and I think the one thing I listen to or listen for in my own work should I hear it in certain circumstances is to is to be surprised where where do I not recognize myself what's the thing that I don't hear as me and if I hear chunks of things that aren't me I find it thrilling the minute something sounds like me, to me, I'm instantly bored. Oh, you have uh, another album coming up? Or have you been writing away? Yeah, I have. I think everyone who's been lucky enough to, to not be too panicked during lockdown, I've got a ton of material. And my last album was 2017. So I've actually got a ton of songs. but But in and around that, I have no clear idea as to what the vehicle for those songs should be. I have I have a, uh, a new agent and a new manager and a new team in probably my best territory, which is France. So I know that I'm working on a very specific set of songs which are conceived as mostly duets with French artists for France for 2023. That doesn't cover me for 2022. So I have all these other songs, some of which might make an album, but some of which might be just songs that are sort of stand alone and and I think given a this point in my career where no one's really waiting for anything and b with EPs and Spotify I could probably come up with some rationale to group these songs together and just say well look here's here's a little bit of a journey over the last um five years and 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 put them out without without plan or without kind of you know seeking seeking to justify them um and uh and I, I was, I think I'm, I think I'm slowly figuring out how to do it. And I was always a little bit worried that you need a, a raison d'être for these, for these songs to, to speak to each other. And then when you listen back to them, you often find that they're, they're speaking to each other in ways you didn't know anyway. So I think, I think I might do a series of EPs this year, and then what I consider the album proper for 2023. And these collaborations that you, you've, you've done over the years as well. What attract? What attracts you to a, a collaboration? Sounds corny, but is there anything specifically you're looking for or uh, do you get approached often? I, I, I get approached and I always say no. I mean, always. I've always, I've, the truth is, I've never liked it. 
And I've done things with friends and I've done things that I've been paid to do and I've done things in the early days in writers' rooms and and I've asked to be, you know, the third wheel in a room just as someone to, like, run interference and make a fool of themselves while said artist sort of is, is allowed to be, uh, you know, uh, made to feel creative. And that's fine. I, 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 I've learned from all of those, but the, the truth is I don't like the sausage factory aspect of collaborating in that way. Um and I don't really like making myself vulnerable in in front of people I like and respect, because I, I yeah. my my natural position as a person as an artist is to go I'm shit, I'm going to make this bad. Don't let me ruin your song, and please don't call me again. Um, and I'm only just learning to just fucking relax and and go. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the song works out. It doesn't matter if it's not the best song in the world. Just make something learn from it have a bit of fun and the key thing is have a bit of fun and so I'm starting to do that and then when I did a songwriting retreat a bunch of years ago um, with uh, National Treasure Catherine Williams who I've done some stuff with before I, I met this girl called um, Laurie Evans and she out of the blue just said to me did I want to do something and 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 I felt so unarmed and disarmed by mm. someone saying to me right up front do you want it do you want to do something i just i forgot to say no and uh, and the more i listened to her own work and her voice and the sort of ideas that she was bringing to the project i just thought this is crazy it'd be crazy not to get involved with with someone who's this talented and and whose approach is different to mine but i think i i think i can genuinely compliment it and it felt blameless. It was locked down. It felt like there was nothing riding on it. No, no labels, no budget, just us kicking songs around. And, and it was, you know, one of the most fun things I've done, I think, in, in recent years. And did you find yourself just going to places uh, songwriting wise that you've never been to in that process then? Is it, did it open up different side yeah. of you, maybe, potential? Oh. Uh, well, absolutely, yeah, and and again, as I sort of alluded to before, I get quite bored of being me, and certainly bored of perceptions of me. Um, and and when you can write in character, or even partly write through someone else's eyes, and especially you know if Lowry's come to me with songs that they might not have finished lyrics or lyrics at all but they've got a strong emotional content which I can divine just from hearing her sing and play them I, I'd go I think I know what this song should be about and I think I have a way of telling the story and and would sort of feel that unburdened by having to be me and just just use it as a as almost a third entity that part of her and part of me had created and it had come together as this different thing so she's singing lyrics that aren't 100% her I'm writing lyrics and singing lyrics that aren't 100% me but they're but the songs when they're finished are absolutely 100% us you know it's mm. it was it was a, a brilliant brilliant learning process for me and this this material is it is it ready is it available are you releasing it or has it been released well, the Evans McRae album came out. That's the thing we did with me and Laurie Evans. That came out uh, early this year or late? No, late last last year, I think. I don't know where we are in the years. Who knows? I don't even know when recycling is, to be honest. Um, uh, it came out at some point in my lifetime. And we put it out on vinyl and everyone seemed to like it. And we made some little clips. That was great. And I would heartily recommend that, Evans McRae. It's quite, it's quite different for both of us. But equally, you can sort of hear our... Hear our solo influences um mm. and the rest of the stuff I, I guess i guess the answer is it'll dribble out slowly over the year and then um 
and then probably in hopefully in time in time for the tour that's exactly <laughs> how organized i am at this point in my life well i mean the last few years have been trying for everybody i mean that's probably about as organized as you can possibly be the fact that you've got a, a tour booked and some stuff to do is is a miracle in itself these days i think oh god it absolutely is i mean this is a, yeah. a, a constant conversation between me and my friends is that we're all doing tours that have been rescheduled at least twice so this tour i'm doing now was booked for the 20th anniversary of the debut album so this was booked for 2019 yeah. and i was going to do from start to finish in order the debut album songs do all that cliche brilliant bang it out on vinyl lovely uh, no, COVID put pay to that. So okay, well we'll do, we'll, do, we'll we'll shift the tour to 2020, and then with the second wave, um, my agent called up and said, "Let's just not even bother. Let's just move it to 2022." So I said, "Okay, let's move that." So that got shifted, and then everything subsequently gets further down the line. So because of because of the way my world works, especially with different release schedules for different countries or and different teams, is that that I then have to, I'm looking at booking this time next year or February, March, I have the bigger tour of, of regional France booked. And then I'm looking for a bigger solo tour of Europe in at the end of 2023. So now my year has gone from, I'll just book some shows six months in advance to I'll book some shows nine months in advance to now I'll start looking at shows two years in advance because everyone's had their shows knocked on. And and it's getting busy yeah. out there. So so even yeah. even clumsy, slightly crap, disorganised me has to you know pick up the phone and say to people, should we should we make some plans? Tom, I'm going to let you go because we're wasting decent songwriting hours here for you. We're into well, the I'm, twilight area. Yeah, you got your whiskey drinking hours. You got yeah. your whiskey. What's yeah. that? Scotch. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a this is a, a nice a nice a nice little smokehead. Quite a strong peaty Isla malt. Heavily watered nice. down, I'll point out, because I'm still at work. Yeah, but, yeah, just to get you lubricated. Exactly, yeah. Um, um, Tom, it's been an absolute uh, pre a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Good luck with everything. Uh, I'm sure everything will be fine and uh, touching all the wood possible. And I'm looking forward to hearing the new material. Yeah, thank you. That's that's a good wish and a good send-off. Uh, everything will be fine, I'm sure, you know, is probably the best way to approach World War Three and climate disaster. <laughs> 